The Atlanta Braves got a much-needed stress-free win on Monday night against the Texas Rangers to end their four-game losing streak. And I'll answer the question, is A.J. Minter cooked? I'll tell you why not on today's episode of Locked on Braves. So let's get into it. You are Locked on Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, welcome back to Lockdown Braves, part of Lockdown Sports Atlanta, where we cover your favorite Atlanta sports teams each and every day. I am your host, Jake Mastriani. You can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball. You can also check out my written work on Braves Today or over at Braves Today, where I wrote an article on AJ Mentor that we're going to discuss on today's episode. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown underscore Braves. Send in any questions, comments, or feedback that you have for the podcast to try to make this show as interactive with you as possible. So please don't hesitate. Reach out. Let me know what you think of the show. Any comments that you have. You want to put those comments down on YouTube as well. You can do so while you're there. Hit that subscribe button and that thumbs up button to help support the show. And thank you so much for all your support. Everybody letting me know in the comment section that you are an every dayer. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for making Lockdown Braves your first listen of each and every day. On today's episode, we're going to recap Monday's big win and a much-needed stress-free win over the Texas Rangers 12 to nothing. And then I did a deep dive on A.J. Minter because on our Taco Tuesday segment, which is by far the biggest talking point I think right now in Braves country, is what is going on with A.J. Minter. So I did a deep dive, and I'm going to discuss what I found on today's episode and why I still believe there's hope with A.J. Minter, but I'm going to talk about the things that have been going wrong for him that he needs to fix to get back to being the A.J. Minter we know to be. But let's start with Monday and the big win over the Texas Rangers, a much-needed win. If you listen to the postcast with me and Grant McCauley, you know that was the key phrase of the postcast and from a lot of Braves fans and people who cover the Braves and Braves themselves. It was much needed after a disastrous weekend in Toronto where they got swept in just a very ugly fashion as we detailed on Monday's episode to come back and do what they did on Monday, you know, 12 nothing game, a stress-free game and just taking care of business. Yes, it was against the starter making his major league debut, but this team could have very easily, you know, hung their heads and gone in there and not played their best and made this a, a tougher game than it needed to be. But that's really been the calling card of this team is they can shake off things like what happened on Sunday, come back the next day and still give you a good performance and get wins like this to end those losing streaks. So big game for the Braves, much needed, like I said, in that four game losing streak and the offense breaking out after, again, just a tough weekend in Toronto where they could not get anything going. They could not get those big hits. Well, they got them on Monday night, 12 runs on 12 hits. 10 of those 12 hits went for extra bases, five home runs and five doubles. And that's what this offense can do. Now they're not going to score 12 runs and have 10 extra base hits every night. But, you know, this offense, what makes it so special is that they can get a ton of extra base hits up and down the lineup. And we just you know haven't seen that enough lately and we haven't seen it enough in big spots, so great to see them kind of break out of that. You hope uh, they didn't use it all up in game one of this series, and there's more coming, but certainly great to see a lot of guys in the lineup 
with some good swings. Every starter had a hit. Now Marcelo Zunas came against a position player and catcher Sandy Leon, but hey, still got a hit. Uh, so everybody in the starting lineup had a hit in this game, which is great to see. Home runs galore for the Braves in this game. I mean, historic type stuff. The first time in franchise history they've hit five two-run homers. All five home runs were of two runs variety. So just absolutely incredible stuff that the Braves did on Monday night. Ron Acuna Jr. hit his 116.1 miles per hour. It went 450 four feet according to the great sarah langs on twitter which if you don't follow sarah you need to she has a lot of great baseball information that she tweets out just about every night watching baseball but according to sarah it was the second hardest hit home run of acuna's career which is pretty incredible also by sarah she said acuna has hit more 440 plus foot home runs than anyone else in baseball since 2018 and that includes the playoffs and judge is the next closest with three fewer home runs of 440 feet or more than Ron Acuna jr. And he also hit a long one on Monday night as well. And there may be a little bit of controversy around those two home runs that, that judge hit on Monday night. If you don't know what I'm talking about go Google it on Twitter. I don't want to get into it. Maybe we'll talk about it on our through the league Thursday episode. Uh, but, Acuna hitting monster home runs. I mean, every home run that he's hit this year, I believe, is 420 feet or further. So just incredible stuff by Ronald, what he's doing, how hard he's hitting the baseball. And the type of pitch that it was is so encouraging. It was a, a pitch, as, again, I think this was from Sarah as well. It was like 1.5 inches off the ground. I mean, he went down and got it and hit it 450 feet. I, I tweeted it out during the game. That's a pitch that last year, it's an easy ground out. To shortstop, he doesn't have enough trust in that knee to bend down and get under that baseball and get the lift on it that we know he can. So great to see, very encouraging for Acuna. We talked about the powers coming at some point, and we're starting to see that in the month of May. Hopefully, it will just continue. He's now on pace for uh, 36 home runs and 67 stolen bases. I know. Um, Grant McCauley over there has the tracker 40-40 tracker going, keeping up with that so uh great to see again acuna get going and i know you don't want to get caught stealing with matt olson and austin riley over the plate because they can still go deep at any point but the double plays are brutal you saw it in the first inning matt, matt olson hitting a double play so i almost feel like anytime acuna is on first base with olson and, and riley up right now even murphy i mean i know he's been hitting the ball better than those two but I want to see Acuna go. I want to see Acuna go every time he's over at first base. Try to avoid some of those double plays the Braves have hit into far too frequently this year. Going back to the home runs, Kevin Pillar got it started with a two-run homer. He now has five home runs on the season and three in his last 11 at-bats. He has been great. And look, I'll admit I was wrong here. I didn't think he was the best platoon bat. I thought he'd be there more for defensive replacement, veteran leadership, but he has stepped up against lefties when he's been called on in the starting lineup, and he has hit some big home runs for the Braves already this season. Orlando Arcia hit one off the second deck facade in left field, an absolute laser of a shot. He reached all four times, two hits, two walks, scored three times as well, drove in two runs, a great night for Orlando Arcia, great season so far for Arcia. Um, really love, obviously, what he's done at the plate and in the field. 
And then Austin Riley, he showed his power. He had a low line drive out to right center, 105.5 miles per hour off the bat, a 21-degree launch angle. But what was so encouraging for me with Austin Riley on Monday night, he had three balls that were hit 104.7 miles per hour or harder, so he's making hard contact, which is great. And the 21-degree launch angle on his home run was the lowest launch angle that he had, which means he's getting under the baseball. And where he's really been struggling lately, hitting into those double plays, getting on top of the baseball a lot. So no, he had a couple of flyouts in this one, but still that's more encouraging to me because you want to see him get to that power, the home run power, the gap-to-gap power. You want to see that from Austin Riley. And he can't get to that power if he continues to top the baseball and drive it into the ground. So that, for me, was highly encouraging for Austin Riley on Monday night to see him start to get under some of those pitches. Azuna capped off the two-run home run parade with a one of his own in the ninth inning. Now, like I said, it did come off a position player, but nonetheless, Azuna continues to hit home runs like we know that he can do. And, and I feel bad for Cody Bradford, the starter for the Texas Rangers. I feel like the Rangers owe him an apology. They threw him in there against a Braves team that was really frustrated after the weekend, looking to break out. He's a lefty. The Braves crushed lefties. Uh, you know, I just really feel bad for the guy in his debut that he had to face that lineup who was due to break out. And again, being a lefty against a team that crushes lefty. Rangers didn't do him any favors. I'm sure he'll have better starts in the future, uh, but a bit of a rough one for Cody Bradford in his debut. And then Charlie Morton, exactly what the Braves needed. He gave the Braves length, saving that bullpen after a bullpen game on Sunday and really just rough weekend in some sorts for the bullpen, but gave the Braves some length, six and two-thirds innings, seven hits, one walk, no earn, and 10 strikeouts, season best for Charlie Morton, especially after taking a big lead. You know, sometimes you get those big leads, you kind of relax a little bit. And I love Charlie's comment after the game. You know, he said, I didn't even know we were up 10 nothing," And that's the kind of mentality that you want from your pitcher, not really looking at the scoreboard, just focusing on getting outs, executing your pitches. And great to hear that from Charlie Morton. Great to see him just continue to bear down and almost get through seven innings, allowed a couple hits in that seventh inning. A snicker tried to let him work through that. 23 whiffs is more like Charlie Morton. We weren't seeing that early in the year. He had 32 swings against his curveball. 20 of them were whiffs. I mean, that's a 63% whiff rate on his curveball. It is absolutely filthy. It's still one of the best curveballs in all of baseball, and he really had it working on Monday night. And with all the injuries in the rotation, what Morton has done this year has been huge. And look, I'm somebody I was fully in favor of bringing Charlie Morton back, but I was still one of those that thought $20 million was a little too much based on the year that he had last season. I thought they'd bring him back at 12 to $15 million, somewhere in that range. I know a lot of people thought the Braves shouldn't bring him back at all. I still like the idea of bringing him back for his veteran presence, and I thought he'd have a much better year because last season he just had the ups and downs trying to come off that leg injury, and he's getting up there in age, but he has been huge for the Braves this year with all the injuries in the rotation. He's 5-3 and three with a 2.85 ERA. And again, a little bit of a rough start to the season, but it's gotten better each time out. And his whip, which was 1.61 on April 19th, is now down to 1.37. So again, you're continuing to see him get better each time he goes out there. And um, he, he got 10 Ks in the game. His strikeouts per inning, has gone up the last four starts as well. In his first four starts, he only struck out 
more batters and innings pitched once, but now he's done it in his last four starts. So, again, you're seeing the swings and misses. You're seeing the strikeouts for Morton go back up. You're seeing that whip come down. Uh, again, I can't say enough how big it's been for Charlie Morton to be that top-of-the-rotation guy that the Braves need with Freed and with Wright out. So, big props to Charlie Morton, what he's done for the Braves this year. It's been huge and fantastic and much, much needed, which is a phrase that I use a lot after yesterday's game. All right, next, we'll turn our attention to A.J. Minter. I said I did a deep dive on him that I wrote an article for on Braves today on Monday. If you haven't read that, make sure you go do so. But I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version when we come back. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With big deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guaranteed, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting pumped up for all the fun you're going to have at your next event. I was pumped up to go to opening day, but I couldn't find those Braves parking tickets. And last-minute parking tickets for opening day, uh, they're not cheap, but Game Time had the cheapest ones out there, was able to get them last minute and get a nice parking spot for the Braves home opener. So I've used them. You should use them as well. And if you're going to, you know you're buying tickets to a game this year, why not try out Game Time and use our code Locked On MLB and you get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code Locked On MLB for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Braves play the Rangers on Tuesday night at 8.05 p.m. Eastern. We'll see if that offense can continue to break out, catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. All right, we'll have our Wednesday stat of the day on Wednesday. Then we'll do our Through the League Thursday and Mailbag episode coming up on Friday. So got full content week coming for you here on Locked On Braves. But today's episode, our Talk O Tuesday segment, the talk of Braves country has been A.J. Minter. Even on Monday, I said I wrote an article about it. I saw uh, Ryan wrote an article about it as well. Even Braves Today had a, a, a podcast feed talking about uh, A.J. Minter and some of the struggles that he has had. So it's on a lot of people's minds. So I wanted to do a deep dive on it myself and then bring that information here to you. And the question is, is A.J. Minter cooked? And that's what a lot of Braves fans are saying, that he's done, he's trash, he needs to be cut, he needs to be sent down. But I think we need to pump the brakes just a little bit. And I've been a big defender of A.J. Minter. And you look at the, the metrics and the analytics, and I know not everybody loves to, to look at those. And it's not the end-all, be-all. I get that. I'm, I'm somebody who uses the analytics, matches it with what I'm seeing with my eyes, and then tries to make a conscious decision. I'm not just basically, you know, basic, pure analytics. The stats are, are the end-all, be-all. I get that. But – you do look at the analytics for A.J. Minter, and it, it doesn't match the performance that we're seeing on the field. And that's why A.J. Minter is such a, a strange and frustrating case, and it's why everybody is trying to, to figure it out and doing these deep dives to figure out what's going on. I'm, I'm sure A.J. Minter is. I'm sure the Braves are as well. But you look at the analytics, 77th percentile in average exit velocity, very solid, 87th and hard hit percentage, really good. 72nd percentile in barrel percentage, still missing a good amount of barrels. 80th percentile in strikeout percentage, really good. 89th percentile in whip percentage, that's great. 84th percentile in chase rate, 91st percentile in fastball spin. I know the velo's down, but that spin's still very high, and he's still throwing the fastball pretty hard. 
64th percentile in walk percentage. A lot of people in my comments were saying that it's the walks that have caused him so many issues. That's not necessarily the case. His current 7.2% walk rate would be the second best of his career, not including the short sample size in his rookie season or his first season in 2017, where he had an absurd 3.3% walk rate. Now, if you're comparing it to last year and you're just doing a side-by-side side, side side comparison, then, then yeah, last year he had a 5.5% walk rate. It was the you know best of his career, again, outside of that short sample size in 2017. So, But still, 5.5% to 7.2%, it's still really solid. The walks aren't what's killing A.J. Minter, in my opinion. So, again, I looked at everything. Uh, you know, I broke it down. I looked at his past 11 appearances. I looked at all the stats and the analytics. And, you know, it was a great start to the season as well. So, I, you know, I somewhat ignored those first several starts that he had that were really good. Maybe I shouldn't have to see why those were so good. And maybe that'll be the next part of this is to go back and look at those. But I looked at his last 11 appearances, which there has been some good in that as well, and looked for some struggles and, and some reasons why he's struggling. I came up with four or sorry, three reasons for why I think he's struggling. And the biggest one is is the cutter, and more specifically, the cutter location. You know, it's not it's just not that good of a pitch for him anymore. You know, a lot of people talk about his cutter as being his, his bread and butter, and that's why he's been so successful. Maybe that was the case early in his career. It's not the case anymore. It's not that Kenley Jansen cutter that you can just – throw down the middle, and for whatever reason, hitters cannot put bat to ball on Kenley Jansen's cutter. You, again, you watched it last year. Jansen could throw that cutter down the middle, and hitters just had no chance and couldn't touch it. It's not that type of cutter for A.J. Minter, or at least it's not now. It doesn't have that type of effectiveness. Even last year, it was his least effective pitch based on run value. Batters hit 338 against his cutter last year, and they're hitting 316 against it this year. It's just not a highly effective pitch for him if it's not located correctly. And that's, you know, the nada moment of this podcast so far. But again, it's just not a cutter. It's not good enough for him to miss bats over the heart of the plate. Now, when he's really gotten hurt with it this year, as I said, he's he's missed over the plate. A lot of cutters, you know, down the middle or up and they're getting hit extremely hard. When that pitch is effective for him, he's using it as a put-away pitch, and he's throwing it off the plate, down and away to lefties, or down and in to righties. That's when that cutter is most effective, and he's using it sequencing off that fastball, either into lefties or away from righties. And you tunnel that, that four-seam fastball, you know, mid to high 90s fastball, and that 90-mile-per-hour cutter. When you're sequencing and tunneling those two pitches, that's when A.J. Minter is most effective. But again, the biggest issue that I see and going back and looking at all these, these appearances for AJ Minter, it's the cutter location. It's just not a good enough cutter that you can miss over the heart of the play with it and get away. And that's really where I've seen the biggest issue for AJ Minter so far. It's probably using that cutter too much and he's not locating it well enough um, for it to be an effective pitch for him. Bad luck, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but there's been a good bit of bad luck for A.J. Minter in these appearances as well. Um, you know, he he has a BABIP of nearly 100 points higher than his career num, career normal. You know, he has his BABIP is in almost 400. 
you know, league average is somewhere around 300. It's 100 points higher than that. His, that's why his expected ERA is nearly half of his actual ERA. He, he's due to have some good luck on some batted balls in play. But again, part of that is just missed location. One thing that really stood out to me in my research is that batters are getting to the sweet spot more often against A.J. Minner's pitches, which again, I think has a lot to do with location. I looked at the movement of those pitches, and it's not very different from last year to this year. But what is the big difference is the location of these pitches. He's not locating them in the correct spots enough, often enough. Last year, his sweet spot percentage was just 32.1%, which is somewhere in about his career average and is solid. It's up almost 10 points this year at 41.5%. And what that means, sweet sweet spot percentage is based on launch angle and getting somewhere in that 8 to 32 degree launch angle, which is going to give you more line line drives and going to give you harder contact and allow you to obviously put the ball in play and get more hits. So that's really one of the biggest differences I've seen with AJ Minter is the fact that he's getting, you know, hitters are getting to the sweet spot more often against him, which again, I think goes back to just the miss and location. And then my final thing with AJ Minter, why I think he hasn't had as much success this year. I think he's overworked. I think he had to, he had to step up a lot early in the year with Iglesias out and with McHugh out. And I think he was overworked early on. Um, and I think that's part of it that he's just fatigued. You know, you had McHugh out, as I mentioned, Iglesias, and then Joe Jimenez wasn't the setup guy that we thought he would be. So a lot has been asked of AJ Minter early on. He's thrown the 24th most innings of any reliever in baseball the last three years. And that's not including the postseason where the Braves had a long run in 2021 where they needed AJ Minter and you know, Braves have been in the postseason the last several years and have used A.J. Minter, and that's also including a lot of relievers who are multi-inning relievers. So that's a lot of innings and a lot of stress on A.J. Minter over the last three years that's bound to wear a pitcher down. And when you're seeing him missing locations, not being effective, a lot of that's due to fatigue. And that's why I hated the decision when Brian Snicker brought him into the first game in that Red Sox series in a blowout game. I get why you wanted to give him work, and it's always that issue of of rust, you know, that you don't want a guy to sit out too long because you don't want them to get rusty, but you also don't want to overwork them. But if there's somebody that you need to give more rest to, it's A.J. Minter. The guy's been overworked out of your bullpen the last, you know, two-plus years now, and specifically this year as well. I just hated bringing him into that game. And then Snicker turned around and used him the, the, exact, the next day. And Minter comes in and walks the first two batters. Clearly fatigued. Clearly doesn't have great location. I, I mean, I've said it on here before. Give the guy a break. He has been overworked. And I think that played a lot into why the missing location because of some of this fatigue. Now, I went back and, and looked at each loss, and I'm going to give you the excuses for each loss. April 1st against Houston, a bit of bad luck, a hit by Dubon that was a soft hit that just happened to, to find a hole. Bad decision-making. They should have walked Jordan Alvarez. And perhaps bad pitch by A.J. Minter. It wasn't a terrible pitch. It was a cutter you know, on the edge away, but you got a base open there after the balk. If you're going to throw to Jordan Alvarez there, that pitch has to be off the plate away it can't be anywhere near the strike zone he's just too good of a hitter so bad luck bad decision making in that game in my opinion 
April 23rd versus Houston. This is a missing location. A walk to David Hensley. That just cannot happen. Some bad luck as well. The, the ball hit by Jolks that gave the Astros the lead in that one. It was a good changeup exactly where Trump wanted it, and Jolks poked it up the middle at 77.5 miles per hour. So a little bit of bad luck there as well, but mostly you know, a lot of that was missing location. April 27th against Miami. This is another one. Uh, missed in location and bad picks, pitch selection. Two cutters that were right down the middle. I didn't like the sequencing events against Avisel Garcia in that one either. Yeah, I told you, when A.J. Minter's on, he's locating the fastball on the edge away to righties and that cutter down and in to righties. And he had just thrown a perfect fastball on the edge away to Avisel Garcia. And then Trump called for a cutter away in that same spot. And Garcia you know, was already looking out there, was able to just poke it into center field for a hit. You throw that pitch down and in, you probably get a swing and miss or an easy ground out. So that's one that where it was a combination of missed location and bad pitch selection. May 10th against Boston. This is the one that irritates me. He never should have been in that game in the first place after throwing 20-plus pitches in a blowout game the night before. That one, for me, is purely on Brian Snicker. And then May 13th against Toronto, Kept falling behind, threw a couple of cutters down the middle that got hammered. Again, that cutter, missing with that cutter out over the plate, and it's getting punished. So I look for the biggest keys for Mentor going forward. Mix in the changeup more, especially against righties. He hasn't given up a hard-hit ball on that changeup all year. Now, that's a small sample size. Only seven balls have been put in play against his changeup, but he's decreased his usage of that changeup this year almost 7%. I think that's the pitch he needs to go to more often i think he needs to throw it against lefties a little bit as well the cutter has to be off the plate i mentioned this earlier earlier it's just not a good enough cutter to leave in the strike zone that has to be your put away pitch that you're trying to get a swing and miss on off the plate if you leave it over the plate it's going to get hit hard as we've seen a lot this year but even with the drop in the velocity the fastball is still a good enough pitch to get hitters out we've seen that this year that spin rate is so high and it's still 96 miles an hour i know it's dropped one mile per hour from last year on average, but it's still 96 with a high spin rate. That's a good enough fastball to get hitters out. So those are my keys for AJ Minter. I still think it's in there. I believe he's going to get to it, but I need, I think they need to give the guy a break. He's overworked. He's got to have better location specifically with that cutter. It just cannot be a pitch that he throws for a strike. It has to be a put away pitch off the plate, mixing that change up a little bit more, and I think we'll start to see the A.J. Minter that we're accustomed to seeing. Maybe we'll see A.J. Minter on Tuesday night as the Braves look to take the series against the Texas Rangers and calling up Jared Schuster to start that game. We'll discuss that next. A little bit of news from Monday. The Braves put Kyle Wright on the 60-day IL to open up room on the 40-man roster. And with that roster spot, they added pitcher Derek Rodriguez. Uh, made some starts for the Giants a couple of years ago. He's on a minor league deal. As I mentioned, he was added to the 40-man roster, so adding some depth there. They'll likely stretch him out to become a starter and add some depth, as I would imagine. Braves called up Jared Schuster to start on Tuesday, sent Danny Young down. I saw some people upset that Danny Young was being sent down. I, I know you look at the numbers for Danny Young, and they look pretty good, but he's just not a guy you're going to use in high-leverage situations, as we saw in that series in Toronto over the weekend. Braves and Rangers game two on Tuesday night. It is Jared Schuster versus Dane Dunning. Schuster this year, we saw the tough performances for him at the big league level to begin the season. Up and down at Gwinnett this year, but his last two starts have been solid. He 
Had six no-hit innings and one start, but did walk three batters. But his last two starts combined, 11 and two-thirds, or 11 and two-thirds innings, seven hits, four walks, four earned, and 11 strikeouts. The real issue with Schuster this year has been the walks. After walking less than three batters per nine innings last year, he's over five per nine at AAA this year, and it was even worse than that in his two starts with the Braves. It's it's not the strike zone attacking Schuster that we saw in spring training that won him that job, so we need to see him get back to that. He's walked three or more in three of his five starts at AAA, and in the two starts that he didn't walk anybody, he was giving up a ton of hits, nine and seven hits respectively, in those two starts. So I'm not super optimistic about Jared Schuster here, just based on the body of work that I've seen from him this season. But that changeup is still a plus pitch. It can get big league hitters out, probably one that he needs to feature a lot more. You got a rested bullpen. So if he can get you through five innings at three earned or less, I think that would be a huge win for Jared Schuster in this one. Certainly hoping for better. Uh, but again, I'm not hugely optimistic about Jared Schuster coming back up. Dane Dunning, a former first-round pick by the Nationals in 2016. He's 28 years old now, started the year in the bullpen, didn't give up a run in his first 15 and a third innings coming out of the bullpen. They moved him into the rotation in May. He's allowed just two earned runs and 11 innings pitched with just eight hits and two walks allowed in those two starts in May, but just eight strikeouts, so not a lot of strikeouts by Dane Dunning he's more so looking for some weak contact as he throws six different pitches which unfortunately reminds me too much of Chris Bassett who 50% sinker but throws in a lot of other pitches mixes them in and keeps hitters off balance so could be a tough matchup for the Braves once again his cutter I talked about the cutter for AJ Minter how it's very hittable it's been it's been unhittable for Dane Dunning this year batters hitting just 087 against that cutter which he's throwing a lot more this season is the pitch he's throwing the most this season, so something to keep an eye on there. Braves play the Rangers on Tuesday night again at 8.05 p.m. Eastern. Scheduled starters are Jared Schuster and Dane Dunning. You can catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. That will do it for this episode of Locked On Braves. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LockedOn underscore Braves. You can follow me at ShortstopBall. Also, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Locked On Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Hey, this is Stacey Gotsoulias, DC Lundberg, Ryan Finkelstein, Taylor Blake Ward, host of Locked On Yankees, Locked On Mariners, Locked On Mets, Locked On Angels, and you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 